A couple of weeks ago, I was at a conference. It was a very large Christian conference, and so there are about 5,000 people in a large room, a big band leading us in worship, and um, so there was kind of some worship, and then a time where some speakers shared with us, and then another time of worship through music, and when we got to that second time of worship through music, there had been a family sitting right in front of me, uh, two parents and then two children, and as the music began to go, they were just kind of way more expressive than the average person, I would say, um, but by the end of the first verse, the, I saw a mom and dad kind of like shuffling their kids out, and I was like, oh, I guess they've got to leave early or something, so they leave, and next thing I know, they're not leaving, they actually have just worked their way forward to where now they're in the front of the whole section, just like in the hallway, I was like, I guess they want some space to be a little more expressive, and um, as I'm watching, they're, they're just like really into it. And they're in my line of sight trying to look at the stage. And so I just can't help but see this. And so um, first things that just kind of strike me is like, one, the, the little girl is like phenomenally good at like all the right characteristics, like just expressions, all this stuff. And so mom is super in it, dad is super in it. And, and the little girl, I'm looking at her and I'm just like, man, like, that little girl is on fire. Like, she loves the Lord. She loves to pour her heart out and praise. Um, but then I realized, like, she still has the headphones in because she's listening to a translation, and they're not doing translations for the songs. So she takes them off, comes back, puts them in her seat, and then I'm saying, like, so she doesn't know the words here. And I'm like, she's younger than my daughter. My daughter, who's five years old, like, she can't read even if she knew the language. Like, she has no clue what's going on, but she's super into it. And so I'm like, just... Slow your roll, Kevin. Like, don't be so critical. Don't be so judgmental. Like, what's going on? But then I realized, like, the, the boy there, he looks like he's kind of, like, approaching the teenage years. And as I get a glimpse of his face, I can just see, like, horror. Like, he is terrified, and he's looking around, like, who's looking? And, and dad and mom are just really into it. And so I'm just torn between, like, I go from, like, feeling these things of, like, despair. They're like, man, my family worship moments are not that awesome. <laughs> to, like, wait, is this a show? Like, I feel bad for, like, and, and so all these things I'm wrestling with and, and on, I'm confessing, like, it's just wrong of me to, to try to have any kind of judgment on what's going on there. But what really hits me is that that's my wrestle, too, of it's so easy to just put on a performance, right? And so many things that we're called to do as followers of Jesus, we can do and just functionally make it happen as a performance, when our heart could be totally removed from what we're doing. And that's the danger there. Um, and that's why I'll confess to you, like the most difficult discipline of all the disciplines, and yet the most fruitful discipline for me and my life personally is prayer. And you know why that is? Because all the other disciplines I can just do. And it doesn't mean I'm doing them right because my heart should be in it but I can functionally confess, I can functionally read my Bible and learn, I can do these different things, but prayer requires this intimacy that you can't manufacture. Maybe in public prayer, I can say things and you can hear me pray and I could not actually mean what I'm praying, but real prayer requires an intimacy, a genuineness of my heart communing with God that cannot just be performed. Do you resonate with that at all? Do you struggle in your prayer life to stay focused or to know what to say or how to say it or to have faith that what you're asking for will actually be given? Any of those things, do you wrestle with prayer? Like, is it actually as powerful as people claim? Um, some of the, the recent trends um, as we, like we can learn so much about human behavior from Google searches 
And so, so much of what really shows kind of the, the spiritual place that we're at as a culture is expressed in how people will Google search things about prayer. Like, in fact, one of the, the most um, kind of just overwhelming ministries we can offer churches collectively online is to have a prayer request button. Like people want, like Facebook caught on to that. Facebook actually added a prayer request button a couple of years ago because they saw in the pandemic how much people really wanted to request prayer. And so prayer is the topic today, but real prayer cannot just be performed. So if you will, we are continuing our study certainty, um, looking at the gospel according to Luke. So we're in Luke chapter 11 today. If you wanna make your copy of scripture ready, Luke chapter 11. This is an invitation to pray like Jesus. Luke chapter 11, it starts off and it says, he was praying in a certain place and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. He said to them, whenever you pray, say, Father, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us and do not bring us into temptation." He also said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I don't have anything to offer him. Then he will answer from inside and say, don't bother me. The door's already locked and my children and I have gone to bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he won't get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his friend's shameless boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is an invitation to pray like Jesus. And he teaches us to pray. And so let's go back through this and see what has Jesus taught us? How can we step into praying like Jesus himself as he taught us to pray? So verse one, it says, he was praying in a certain place and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. And so we have context here. Jesus was praying That's actually significant for us to see. There's something about the way in which Jesus is praying, and we see this throughout Luke's gospel, that Jesus would often withdraw, and he would be in intentional time of prayer. And so I'm gonna spoil a little bit of this, but as he gives this model for praying, can you imagine that if that is all that Jesus would say in praying, that he would need to go remove himself constantly? No, so there's gotta be more. He's he's not just saying like, you quote these things verbatim. He's praying, and they find him praying, and there's something so compelling about that. The one of the disciples are like, hey, could you teach us to pray? Like John taught his disciples to pray, could you teach us to pray? And so we have context of what's going on. This has been requested by a disciple, and so now who is Jesus teaching? His disciples. That's important for us to know. When Jesus now gives this model for praying, he's teaching his disciples to pray like this. And so We start verse two, he says, he said to them, whenever you pray, say, Father, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we also ourselves forgive everyone in debt to us and do not bring us into temptation. 
So he gives this model for praying and it starts with the address. Like when you start a letter or you start a conversation, it's good to address who you're speaking to. He says, address God as Father. And this is radical in this day and age. Jesus is uniquely the Son of God and that he has a special relationship to God that is unlike anyone else and that he was born of, conceived of the Holy Spirit. And so he references God the Father as Father because he has eternally been God the Son. But now in the incarnation, in a unique way that none of us can also claim, he is literally the son of God. And so he's now saying, you also step into this. Call him father. Father. And so when you cry out in prayer and you call God father, what you are doing is you're acknowledging your position, your status in relation to God himself. That the gospel, the good news is, disciple, follower of Jesus, you have been brought into the family of God. You were adopted in. You did not belong there. You did not earn your way in there. So just like an adoption in the ancient world or even today, the child cannot say, I want to be part of that family and force the child's way into that family. Now the parent, the father says, I'm taking you. I'm going to give you my name. All of your debt, everything that stood against you, I will take it all. I will pay all of that. I'll bring you into my family, my household. And so Jesus is saying, hey, call him such. He is Father. See your relationship to him as you address him. Call out Father. The confidence of a child running up to daddy. That when, when a child runs up to daddy, and this may trigger some of us, some of you may have had abusive or absent fathers, but even if that is your case, you can still resonate with this because you know what it is to want a good father to want a dad that you can run up to with the confidence of knowing he has my best at heart. He loves me. He will protect me. He will provide for me. He will be a good dad. And so when you come to God in prayer, you come saying, Dad, Father, here I am. This is what I'm asking. This is what I want to talk about today. And Jesus said, like, this is what you get to step into when you pray. You get to step into knowing that's your relationship with him. And it says, your name be honored as holy. Uh, the, the next stanzas here, if you will, they're, they're basically reorienting us, that we start with, hey, this is my position, this is why I come to you, because you are father, and I'm your son or your daughter. And now he says, now, get your view right, that it has to be God-centric. It's a theocentric view. Your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. And so the name of someone is tied to their personhood. If you speak about Kevin, you're not just speaking about a name of Kevin, you're speaking about Kevin the person. And so when we speak of the name of God, we're speaking of the personhood of God. And so he's saying, your name, let you yourself be known as holy. Because is God holy? Absolutely. But is he honored as holy in this world? No. And so this is a request. God, let's see it come about. Let me be part of that as your son. I want to see your name, your personhood, known to be who you are, honored as holy in this world because you are holy. And so this is worship. This is seeing rightly who God is and who he should be seen to be throughout this world so your kingdom come. We plea for this because we know it is here. Jesus came around saying the kingdom of heaven is here. So it's here. God rules and reigns in us and it's coming to bear on this planet, and it will come to bear fully in consummation the day when Jesus visibly returns to this planet. He is coming again. And so we, like John ending the revelation, and as this became such a common statement throughout the New Testament, 
in the church, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. This is our constant prayer. We see anything that causes despair and we say, come Lord Jesus. We see anything that causes the greatest delight and we say, it pales in comparison to what's to come. So come Lord Jesus. Just constantly, your kingdom come to long for this, to ask for the consummation of the age. And so you come to dad. So this is why I'm here because you adopted me and you paid the price. I'm yours and you are mine. So dad, help me to see things rightly. Your name be honored as holy. You are holy. Would you make all things right again? Come soon. Come soon. It's a reorientation to a theocentric reality and view. And then he starts the request. He says, give us each day our daily bread. This daily bread is looking to and asking God for provision. You come to dad, you come to father and say, I need these things. God, I need these things. And he loves to provide. Um, but what does he say here? He says daily bread. I mean, bread, a basic just nutritional artifact that's going to help sustain us for life. Nothing extravagant, just bread. And it's in a quantity of daily. That what I need for today, God, will you provide? What he's saying is, ask for your necessities. Not luxuries, necessities. So Jesus teaches us to ask for the necessities, not the luxuries, but that begs the question, like, is it wrong now to ask for things that I just want? Like, God, I want that promotion, or I, I, want, I want this, I want that. Like, is it wrong for me to ask for things that I just want? And no, I don't actually need them. So is Jesus saying I would never ask for what I want? No. He's saying this, this has to be a heart that you have to see. God will provide your necessities. Ask him for them. I love the way Dr. Kim, Timothy Keller says this in one of his books on prayer. He says, you should not begin to pray for all you want until you realize that in God you have all that you need. So can you pray for what you want? Yes. But first, make sure that you see that in God you have everything you need. So Jesus says, give us our daily bread. And then, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us. Forgive us assumes the ongoing need for confession, that you and I are still humans, and on this side of full redemption, we are still prone to sin. We fail. We miss the mark of God and his standard of perfection. Uh, we are broken. We're living in bodies, these, these bodies of death, of flesh that are prone to sin. And so in that reality, knowing, yes, I am fully forgiven. I have been saved. I am being saved and I will be saved. I still today am struggling through this and God is sanctifying me in his power. And yet when I fail, I should confess and ask for forgiveness for those sins. And that's not because it's earning my salvation or keeping me in this good salvific standing with God. It's because this is the ongoing posture of the Christian heart, as a heart of repentance. That I see I need you and I continue to see that I need you to be my salvation, God. And so this is also about the, the relationship. That yes, nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And yet, if I continue to live in sin, that's not gonna break the relationship. He is father and I am son. Nothing is going to change that. And yet, how much can I think in my earthly, earthly father, like how much can I affect my relationship with my dad? Like he, He's not going to denounce me and remove all ties from me. But if I hurt him, if I do things against him, that absolutely has an effect on my relationship. And so we should confess that. And in confessing that, is that not the first step of healing that? 
Now I can make this right, but if, if I want to make this right, it starts with me acknowledging I did something that was not right. And so this is a posture of our heart to continue. Our salvation already sure, but there is a relational effect and it's an outplaying of our faith. That our salvation began by faith. That we cannot earn our way into heaven. We cannot earn our way into a right standing relationship with God. Our sin fractured that relationship. We have defied God. And so if by grace through faith we have come to this, realizing it is not of ourselves, then we would continue on in that, right? That I could not bring myself into this right relationship with you, God. And so I'm not gonna pretend like I can keep myself there either. And so my heart posture is continually only by your grace, God. You keep me because I keep proving over and over that I cannot do it myself and so my faith is evermore only in you. And then he says, and do not bring us into temptation. That's odd. Like, does God bring us into temptation? Does he tempt us? All these questions and this is a request in light of God's sovereignty to not permit us to fall into temptation sinfully to fail the test. And so as you look throughout scripture, God will give us a test. He tests us over and over and over. But the point of God testing us is for positive outcomes. It's to affirm our faith. It's to grow us, to teach us, not to condemn us. We have already proven we're condemned in and of ourselves. So he gives this model prayer. You can pray like Jesus. He says, this is how you pray. Say this, Father, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us and do not bring us into temptation. Do you feel like you can pray like Jesus now? Like, this is how you do it. This is what you pray. But now, think about your prayer life. How would you describe your prayer life? You could know how to pray these things, understand theologically what Jesus meant by them, but now, functionally, what is your prayer life like? Is it awesome? Do you look forward to spending time quietly communing with the Father? Do you enjoy his presence? What do you want it to be like? Is it what you want your prayer life to be like? Why? Or why not? Is it lacking? Is it maybe non-existent, if you're honest? I don't remember the last time I prayed. Is it strained? Is it, is it a wrestle to pray, to talk to God, to just communicate with God and stay focused on that? You imagine it like a relationship with your spouse or a close friend and how offensive if as you're having the conversation, you just like all of a sudden you're over here talking to someone else. Like, oh, you're saying something? Just, and just, or like, you just, all these things, like it's a wrestle. I'm falling asleep while I'm praying. I'm, I'm thinking about the whole to-do list of today and tomorrow and what I didn't do yesterday and it's all this stuff. Is it a wrestle for you? Or maybe it's because of the seeming silence that God's not answering. Or maybe God's saying no. Or is this thing working? Are you hearing us? Does he want to hear me? Maybe that's where you are you think, God doesn't actually want to hear from me. Seven plus billion people on this planet and you want me to believe he wants to hear me? Look at what I've done with my life. Look at what I did this morning. God wants to hear me? 
does he actually care? Does he really want to hear me? And if Jesus is saying, pray like this, and then I have to wrestle, he says, pray like this, with this kind of confidence, asking these types of things, and then I see, this is my prayer life, and they come into this collision, and it's an awful mess. Then, if that is my life, what should mark my prayer life, regardless of how I feel about it? And it's almost like Jesus predicted, because he did. I understand. I can tell you these things, and then I know what you're thinking in your head and your heart. <sighs> That's great. But in reality, in practice, it's like this. And so he continues. Look at verse five. He also said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I don't have anything to offer him. Then he will answer from inside and say, don't bother me. The door's already locked and my children and I have gone to bed. I can't get up to give you anything. I tell you, even though he won't get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his friend's shameless boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So you hesitate to ask God for things because you fear he's not listening or he won't say yes or whatever the case may be. You have no right to be there. I just, in my shame, in my self-condemnation or the enemy's accusations, all these things make me feel like I just can't come to him. And he's like, look, think about it like this. So, 2,000 years ago, houses were built kind of like my house. We can hear everything that happens outside while we're inside. It's, it's amazing and scary. Like if they hear these conversations, oh my goodness. But here's the thing. So thin walls, it's middle of the night. You've gone to bed, the kids are in bed, and like if you're a parent, you know that's a big deal, okay? The kids are in bed, now you're in bed, like an even bigger deal. So whew, the day is done, finally. I'm gonna close my eyes. Knock, 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 knock. You're like, you just woke the kids up. I know it. Like, somebody's yelling. You're having a conversation through the walls, apparently, like my house. And so here they are. Hey, hey, man, a friend came on a long journey. He's starving to death. I don't have anything to feed him. Can I borrow some food? Publix is closed. There's nothing open right now. Like, I just need, I just need some bread, man. Go away, shut up, get out of here. The kids are in bed, you're gonna wake them up. I'm in bed, leave us alone. The door's locked. There's a reason it's locked, go away. And I was like, no, I need bread. And Jesus says, you know what, that guy's actually gonna get out of bed. He's not getting out of bed because he's his friend. He's getting out of bed because of that guy's shameless boldness and persistence. That guy has got up in the middle of the night and said, I've got nothing, and this is embarrassing. And I'm gonna add to my embarrassment because I care about you, and I'm gonna go tell other people about my embarrassment. And I'm just gonna keep pounding on this house like, hey, I need help, just give me some bread. I know, I'll close my eyes, I won't see your jammies. Like, just <laughs> give me some bread. I need some bread. This shameless boldness is what gets the man out of bed and says, okay, I'm gonna help you out, neighbor. This is embarrassing for all of us now, but here you go. And Jesus is saying, this is how you pray. This is how you pray. You pray with that kind of persistence. You get up in the middle of the night and it's embarrassing. And then you add to your embarrassment by telling and talking to other people about it. You come with persistence. You have to come desperate and knowing your utter inability. And that's how you come to God. And that's how you see him answer. When you come knowing, I have nothing. 
And this is embarrassing, but all of my shame, you took on yourself. You already know me through and through, God, so why am I scared to come talk to you? I don't want to come here. I'm going to show up in the middle of the night, and when you're trying to sleep, I'm going to keep waking you up. Ezekiel, God's talking through the prophet, and he actually says, bother me. Bother me. Like, that's what I want you to do is bother me. Be annoying. Like, keep asking over and over and over and insist on this. Jesus says, that's how you should pray with persistence. Did you give up on what you're praying for? Why? Don't give up. Keep praying. Persist in that. Persist in it. Jesus said, this is what it looks like to pray. You keep asking. Keep asking. Be bothersome. Be annoying about it. You keep asking. This is actually what God wants from you is to bother him like a stranger or a neighbor in the middle of the night pounding on the door, talking through the walls. Hey, you got any bread? I know you've got bread. I don't have bread. This is embarrassing. I need some bread. You persist. But then, like, that's just kind of jacked up. Like, you're telling me that I'm, I'm like, I'm this, you know, seven billion plus people on this planet and I raise my hand. Hey, God, Father, I need bread. <laughs> right? I need this. I just want to talk to you about this. I need to process this or whatever it is. And you're telling me to keep doing that. But it's kind of like this annoying person coming at night when you've got the kids in bed and you're in bed. Like, ah, oh, here comes Kevin again. Like, is that how God views me as this annoying interruptance? Remember all of my fears and frustrations in prayer? Does God hear me? Does he want to hear me? And Jesus knows that that's where our minds go. And now look what he says next. So I say to you, verse nine, so I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. This is assurance that you will get what you are asking for. You will get what you were asking for. Like, wait, does that mean, remember that whole gumball thing? <laughs> that was terrifying. God's a vending machine. So this is my token. I just come with persistence and annoying him. I, I ask, and you're saying like, I will get it. I will get it. He's like, no, no, no. This is an assurance. Keep praying. Look at verse 11. What father among you? And so that should cue you back to how he began that model prayer. Father. But now he makes it to us. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? If he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is assurance. You come with persistence. You keep asking. You don't give up. And he loves that. He welcomes that because he is a father and he's a good father that even us earthly evil fathers know how to give good gifts to our children. How much more so will our heavenly father? It will be even better. Will it look like exactly what we thought it should have? Maybe not, but it will be even better. Will it be when we want it? Because it's the middle of the night. He's here. I'm scared. I'm ashamed. I'm embarrassed. I'm knocking on the door. It's cold out here. I want to go put on some more clothes, but this is weird and I just want it to be over. And he's like, just wait. And his timing, he'll be even better. So he, this is our assurance. You persist knowing that his timing is best and he wants to give you what is even better than what you asked for. But sometimes it seems like we receive a no. 
Because dads like to say no, don't they? <laughs> no. Dads sometimes say no. But why does a good dad say no? Because it's not actually good for you, what you're asking for. And when we experience that, and you will undoubtedly experience that in praying, when you get a no from God, it's because it's not for your good. It's not actually what is best. Or maybe it's a not right now. You gotta wait a little while. But when we receive those, it creates doubt. Like, did he hear me? Did he want to hear me? Is he capable of doing what he said he can do? It creates doubt. It, maybe it's doubt in his power. It's doubt in his relational love for me. It's all kinds of different doubts and disappointments and discouragements, and that makes me want to pray even less. And Jesus knows that. He's saying, no, no, no. He's a good dad. He's even better than any of the good dads that you see around. Thank you, Bluey. He's good father. He's a good father. And so when I tell my kids no, and I watch it break their heart, do you think I revel in that? No, because I'm trying to be a good dad. But when I tell them no, it's for a reason, but I see the way that it devastates them. And so what do I have to do? I have to rebuild that trust. I have to soothe those doubts. And what do I do to rebuild that trust? How do you rebuild any kind of trust? It's time. It takes time, and it takes proximity. Be close. Be around them. And God is never far. He's always there. And he's showing himself. He's evident in all of creation. He's here with us, showing himself to be good. And in the most beautiful, quintessential way ever, on the cross, his love was made manifest or revealed among us. This is proof of his love for us that he died. Jesus, the son of God, died in our place to secure that relationship between us so that we would never be separated from God again. That because of his grace, through our faith, we would be saved just believing that he has made the way. And that way was a way back to him. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He has made the way back to him. God has saved us to bring us back to him. And so spend time with him, in close proximity with him, be with him. You know, this actually comes on the tail of Jesus talking, or Luke recording this message of Jesus teaching in a home. Mary and Martha are there, and Mary is there at the feet of Jesus, and Martha is busy in the kitchen. She's doing all the things, like, we've got guests, we've got to be good hosts, we've got to prepare this and that and clean this and all that. And there's Mary, my little sister, like, she's just sitting at the feet of Jesus, and finally she gets Jesus' attention. She's like, this is embarrassing. Could you make her come help? And he's like, no, 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 no. You're distracted with so many things. Only one thing is essential. Mary's just the good thing. And so on the tail end of seeing that we should just sit and be with God, he now says, this is what it looks like to be with God. You talk to him. You listen to him talk. And then you talk back. And so see, prayer is actually dialogue. You listen to God speak. He speaks primarily and infallibly in his word, scripture. Listen to his voice, but then turn it into a conversation. Ask him questions. Talk to him about it. Talk to him about your day. Talk to him constantly. Be in proximity and see how that trust, it's like he never broke your trust. It was just the way that you viewed it. And he's actually good and he's rebuilding all of that. He's kindling in your heart a greater and greater love for himself. So you persist. Um, 
when I was a kid, I would get bored all the time. And it's amazing to watch my son do the same thing. Like, you have so many things. How are you bored? I'm just dying of boredom. (laughs) What are you talking about? But I remember when I was a kid, I would follow my dad. One of his side jobs was construction. And and I'd go and he'd be like, here's $5 if you pick up every piece of wood on this place. I'm like, that's impossible. But I'd go do it. And then I'd be bored after a little while and I'd start complaining. I remember one day complaining so much. And then dad shows up and he's, he's got a shovel in his hand and there's a string laying there. He takes the thing, he's like, wait, Kevin. And so I'm just getting frustrated while I'm waiting on him. I'm watching like, what are you doing with that shovel on the string? He ties the string to the bottom of the shovel and it makes like a foothold. And he sits me on the shovel, places my feet under there and I grip the handle of the shovel. And next thing I know, he is running around, slinging me all over the place. It's like sliding across the grass and I was having the time of my life. It was amazing. My dad did stuff like that all the time. You know what that looked like? Dad at work. While I'm sitting there complaining and crying and wondering, what are you doing? Why don't you care? I'm bored and all this stuff. And all the while, if I could just realize, like, he's doing something for me, and this is about to be amazing. This is about to be amazing. But it took some time. So can you be persistent? Keep asking. Like I can imagine my dad listening to me constantly complaining and griping about everything and all the while he's got a smirk on his face like if you only knew what's about to happen, it's gonna be awesome. So wait, but keep persisting in the waiting with the assurance that he loves you. He's a good father. And my dad did stuff like that all the time and ultimately as I grew up, I realized like I loved all the things that dad would do for me, like the fun things, like what can I get from dad? But eventually I had to mature and realize it's really not about the shovel. It's not about the things that he does for me. I really just love dad. It's dad that I love. And that's what Jesus is saying here in this assurance. Is you've got to see that it is God himself who's at the heart of all of this. He is there. Look back at verse 13. It says, if you then who are evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? What, Jesus? I was asking for bread. I was asking for fish. Thank you for not giving me a scorpion. That's terrifying. Or a snake. Wait, you're, you're saying, like, where did that come from? You give better gifts than any other dad. But what is it you give? You give the Holy Spirit? What is he saying in this? He says, I give you my presence. That God gives us himself. This is the gospel. That God has given us himself. There's nothing better. There's nothing greater. There's nothing more glorious than God himself. There is no greater gift to give. And God gave us that gift himself. He is ours. He is with us. He is present with us. And so in prayer, you get to enjoy the very presence of God. God is there. Uh, Paul Miller, he he has a book I love on prayer, and he talks about how some people, it's kind of like if you try to learn to drive and you just focus on the windshield, like, that's a little scary. You don't want to focus on the windshield. You want to see what's through the windshield. Prayer is the same way. Don't fixate on the windshield. You're focusing on prayer. No, 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 no. Focus on God. God is there with you. Talk to God. And prayer just happens a lot more naturally. So you don't need to have eloquent speech. You don't need to have all these articulated formulas and all these things. Like, just talk to God. Focus on God. 
I love music. And so um, my son is seven. And so he has to have headphones. Like it's on his school supplies list. And so he goes through them a lot. Like he breaks them all the time. And so you know what we get him? The cheapest headphones we can find. This is one such pair. The cheapest headphones. And every once in a while, they'll be sitting somewhere by his backpack or whatever. And I'll be like, I want to put those on. And I'll listen to them like, oh, that is awful. Like that sounds terrible. Where did they record that? And like, oh, it's the headphones. That's the problem. Um, Pastor Reggie, he gave me earbuds, my first pair of earbuds, um, and I've already destroyed them, but he, he knows that I like to listen to music and podcasts and stuff. And so he gave me these earbuds, and I wore them to the gym for like two weeks, and I sweat like an animal. It's insane. And so next thing I know, I put them back in their little charging pod, and they were so sweaty that they actually corroded in there, and they're like, came out, <laughs> tore to pieces. I was like, thanks, Reggie. This is great. Um, so no more earbuds, but here's the thing. They were cool for a while because I could hear things in a different way. They were not like these cheap headphones that we buy for my son. And so I can hear like different sounds in the instrumentation. I can hear different things and like, I didn't know that guy's voice was quite like that or like all these different things. And it's amazing to hear that. And I can focus on the headphones and think like, what great headphones. And I can do that so much to the point where I forget that it's really not about the headphones. The headphones were just a medium so that I can get to what I love, which is the sound. It's the music. What's, what's there? And so prayer is not so much about how you say things and what you say. Those things do matter. But church, let's step into prayer and see like, what really matters is will you just commune with God? Look at God. Talk to God. His very presence given to us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this. He said, prayer does not mean simply to pour out one's heart. It means rather to find the way to God and to speak with him, whether the heart is full or empty. Let's go be with God in the presence of God. So here's the heart of prayer. There is nothing better than God and he gives us his very self in prayer in a very special way. So enjoy him. As Jesus said this in John 14, he said, if you love me, you will keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor, that's capital C counselor, to be with you forever. He is the spirit, capital S, spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. God, the spirit, is with us. He is in us, believer. And Jesus said, this is actually even better. He goes on a couple chapters later. He says, nevertheless, I'm telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. Can you imagine that? Is that true? It is better for Jesus, the incarnate son of God, to have left. Why? because he sent his spirit. When Jesus incarnate was an embodied form in one locale at a time, he says, I'm going away, but it's actually better because my spirit is coming. My spirit is going to be with all of you. That the presence of God is in us. So Jesus says, he's a good father. He gives even better gifts than all of you evil dads that think you're good how much more will he give his Holy Spirit, his very presence, an answer to your prayer that God is with us. 
And we have these distorted views of the person of God, like one of the, the ones that drives me nuts that we hear all the time, kind of challenging the Christian faith. It's like Old Testament God, New Testament God. Like I read the Old Testament, and he's so angry and wrathful. Like there's no mercy there. And then it gets to the New Testament, he's like, oh, flow, nice, calm Jesus, billowy hair, so gracious, I forgive you and you and you. Like, no, 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 no. God, the triune God, one God in three persons, the Father, Son, and Spirit, have always existed. From eternity past, there will never be a point when they do not all three exist. And they have always been present and gracious. They have also always been holy with a just wrath for anything that offends their love. And so, God is consistent. He's always been the same, but in the same way, now we think of like, okay, Jesus, like we saw you, like we get the gospel picture, like you are really kind, really seemingly safe. He's not, by the way. But like we see, like he died on the cross and all this stuff and like feel so approachable, friendly, but then we hear about the spirit and like I hear the people who love the spirit and they're a little wacky. Like they're talking about crazy things that I've never seen and it's terrifying and all this stuff. And the same thing. No, don't be scared. Don't be scared of the spirit. This, this correction is needed that all three persons are just as present, they're just as gracious, they're just as just, they're just as powerful. So if you think the Holy Spirit is scary and you're too scared, consider this, Jesus is the full revelation of God. And so three distinct persons and yet one God. And it becomes so muddled that Jesus is like, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Like, we can't separate them out cleanly. If anyone tries to tell you that they can explain the Trinity and remove all mystery, they are not sharing scripture. So don't listen to that. There is a great mystery there. And so we just have to accept what scripture says. And yet, Hebrews chapter one starts off and he says, long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. You want to see God, the Father, the Son, or the Spirit, you look at who Jesus is and that reveals to us this is who he is and his character. You can trust him. Don't be afraid of the Spirit. Don't be afraid of him. But maybe you're on the other side of that and you're just, your view of God is whether that's the Father, Son, or Spirit, is just way too safe. He is not safe. You should be overwhelmed with the grandeur of God. In fact, John wrote in Revelation, um, he, he's recurring or reporting to us this vision that he gets. And when he sees Jesus as one of Jesus' closest friends, he laid back into the bosom of Jesus and all this stuff. Like he knew Jesus, they were tight. And yet when he sees the glorified risen Jesus, he is overwhelmed with every sensory experience where he falls as though dead. And Jesus has to reassure him. He is not safe, but he loves us. He is not safe. Or God says in Isaiah 40, 25 to 26, to whom will you compare me or who is my equal? Ask the Holy One. Look up and see who created these. He brings out the stars by number. He calls all of them by name. Because of his great power and strength, not one of them is missing. You wanna see people get freaked out? Watch something happen in the sky that they can't explain. Could you imagine what a solar eclipse was like if you didn't understand the science behind that? You go outside and you watch, like we watch the rockets go off and all this stuff and you see something you don't understand and it immediately kind of puts us like, something big is happening up there and I can't do anything about that. There's something about looking into the heavens 
that reminds us of how small we are. The billions of stars and galaxies, all this stuff. Yeah, then there's just me. And God says, look up at all of that. Who do you think made it? Who do you think named every bit of it? Who do you think is sustaining every bit of it? Who are you comparing me against? He's not safe, but he is a loving father. And so we have to press into what Jesus is saying here. He loves to give his Holy Spirit. Press into that in prayer. And so I would like to end with inviting you into an ancient prayer that's incredibly simple. And I will not pray as we conclude this sermon. I want you to pray. And it's simply this. Come, Holy Spirit, and wait in his presence with the assurance that he loves you. Persist in that. Come, come, Holy Spirit. Because when we pray this, we acknowledge God's presence and seek a greater awareness of it because there's nowhere we can go to escape his presence. So as we pray, come, Holy Spirit, we're seeking a greater awareness we're seeking for him to active, actively come into our lives in a way that maybe we've been kind of grieving him in. This is us posturing ourselves to allow him to move in and among us as only he can, fulfilling what he can do, what he said he would do in us and through us. And when we say come, we're saying I'll wait. But it will take time and I'm okay with that. We reorient ourselves to receive from God rightly as his trusting and beloved children. We orient ourselves to enjoy God, the ultimate gift of the gospel, that we have God himself. So persist in prayer with the assurance that God gives us his very presence. Now will you pray? And just say, come Holy Spirit.